it is not our ticket to heaven. It's not going to depend to how many masses, how many, uh, you know, groceries, how many liturgies I went to, but rather, uh, you know, whether you were able to see the needs of those uh, laid, you know, on the road, uh, needy, you know, with so many uh, necessities. And so for me, our faith has to be uh, a mature faith that is able to take action. And that is done through the words of mercy and actions of social justice. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Reclaiming Social Justice, a podcast that seeks to read the signs of the times through the lens of Catholic social teaching and rediscover our call to work for a more loving and just society. My name is Danny, and I am the Social Justice Coordinator at St. Anthony Catholic Church in Tigard, Oregon, and the host of this show. If you are listening to this podcast for the first time, welcome. I'm so glad you're here and you're tuning in. Um, I invite you to subscribe to get future episodes. You can subscribe on any of your favorite podcasting platforms such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you're a fellow St. Anthony parishioner, remember you can find this podcast at our church website at satiger.org slash reclaimingsj. Whatever platform you choose to listen on, you can expect new episodes monthly on the last Wednesday of the month. In this episode, I speak with Johan Garcia about his personal and spiritual journey of faith and justice. Johan Garcia is the Catholic Social Teaching Education Coordinator at the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, or known or also known as USCCB. And he's also a strong advocate for immigration justice. He was born and raised in Puebla, Mexico, and migrated to the United States in 2003 in search of a better life. He earned an MA in Ethics and Society from Fordham University and strongly believes that we all share the responsibility of achieving social justice. In our conversation, you will hear about how he learned about Catholic social teaching through his family experiences, what he calls the theology of the Good Samaritan, and how we can all participate in building a culture of encounter. He gives us practical action steps that we can all take to begin allowing ourselves to be moved with compassion for the suffering and struggle of others, especially those on the margins. Before we jump into the interview, I just want to apologize ahead of time for the poor audio quality in this episode and the next one also, actually. I don't know what I did, but I must have changed something in my setup because the audio um, wasn't as good as it used to be. So I'm just trying to figure out this problem, perhaps looking into a new mic. Um, but if you have any tips or suggestions, um, I will gladly accept those. Remember, you can always send me your thoughts and rec- recommendations of the podcast, whether it be about logistical things, content things, guests, anything, um, by completing a short feedback form. The link is in the show notes. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Johan Garcia. Enjoy and make sure you stick around after the interview as I unpack one of the themes that stood out to me and connected to our Catholic social teaching. So, um, Johan, that's the first question I wanted to ask you. Um, who or what first taught you to live a faith that does justice? Or when did these two things kind of start to come together for you? So I want to begin by saying that God works in very mysterious ways. And I think for me and for many of our listeners, and maybe even you, Danny, has been that way. For me, uh, my experience or my work in social justice began in the halls of the United States Congress. I still remember December 18, 2020, when I happened to be at the U.S. Senate Gallery 
uh, waiting for our members of Congress to vote on this bill, very well known within the immigrant community, the DREAM Act, which is the Development, Relief and Education for Alien Minors Act, which was introduced at the US Senate for debate and a vote. And again, I recall very vividly when the uh, Senate chamber, when the president of the Senate chamber called for members of the Senate to cast their vote on the DREAM Act. And right after that, you know, this, the dreams and the hopes of over 200 dreamers that were present and those that were not present at the gallery, but, you know, were watching, you know, became banished. And, you know, we were really disappointed, sad, and uh, just, you know, trouble with the injustice that we had witnessed. And from that day, I remember committing myself to work not only on the immigration issue, but also on many other issues that affect uh, our brothers and sisters, especially those living on the margins. And for us, I also want to say that for Latino immigrants, the issue of immigration is personal. I always say that our commitment to social justice and the policy work that we do has been fueled by our own personal story of immigrating to the United States in search of a better life. So for me, right after I went back uh, to my hometown uh, where I was living in, back then in New York, I became very active in different clubs, uh, community organizations. I even completed several internships with elected officials and become uh, very involved. And I was well-recognized among my peers to be a strong uh, uh, community advocate uh, in New York City. But I always knew that I was missing something. And at that point, uh, the image of St. Augustine came to my mind. And this particular phrase that I'm sure our listeners are you know, familiar with it, that you had made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. And for me, I feel that, you know, everything that I was doing was exciting and that work was important. But there was, again, there was something missing in my life. So I remember that one afternoon after being in many interviews with the press and the media, I got home and I just felt uh, not only lonely, but empty. And I think at that point, I just became, became to began to think about my spiritual life and my relationship with God. And after much thinking and reflection, uh, I felt that I didn't have any relationship with God and that troubled myself and that troubled my soul. And I became terrified. I didn't want it to die without <laughs> making peace with God. And, uh, and so I think at that particular moment, I decided to search, search for God. Luckily, uh, and I'm also thinking about St. Augustine's mom, uh, St. Monica. My mom was always praying for me, uh, you know, for that conversion. And that led me to an invitation to do a retreat. And so I accepted this uh, invitation, uh, again, searching for God. To my surprise, I felt that uh, I was not touched by God during that retreat. I didn't feel his presence. So I began uh, searching for God through, through prayer, through the sacraments, going to mass, uh, you know, different, uh, different things, especially reflection and meditation. And after three months of trying, I still couldn't 
uh, see the presence of God in my life. So I stopped trying. And when I stopped, I all of a sudden realized that I, I began to see actually uh, God's face through the people I was encountering, uh, you know, in the ordinary life, you know, not in extraordinary, which I thought it was going to happen after my retreat. But it was on those personal encounters that I began to see the face of Christ in every single stranger. You know, it didn't matter where they were from. All of a sudden, I began to recognize their God-given dignity and potential. And to me, I felt that that's exactly when my conversion uh, took place. So right after that, uh, I also wanted to go deep into the Catholic faith. And that led me to pursue a master's degree in ethics and society at Fordham University, where I was able to combine both uh, my faith and academic studies with my passion for social justice. And we, and we can talk about this later, but that's where I develop what I now call the theology of the Good Samaritan, which means that, you know, you have to give yourself to the needs and pains and the hopes of the people. And, you know, this is ultimately the, our goal in life, to give ourselves to others, just like Christ has done that. That's right. Um, and, and I love that you have that personal connection with St. Augustine, because I do too. He was my um, saint that I chose for, for my confirmation. Uh, he inspired my return to the faith. And in fact, I, I gave my, that name to my son, his Salvador Agustin. Um, I, I decided to, to name him. Um, so I'm happy to hear we have that, that shared um, passion for St. Augustine. Um, but let's talk a little bit about that, um, the theology of the Good Samaritan. Um, but uh, more, more generally, I guess I'm curious because it sounds like you were already involved and engaged with justice work before your, your conversion, right? Before your encounter with God. Um, and I'm curious, how did your work for justice begin to change? Or what was the impact that your personal relationship with God was now having in your justice work? This is very uh, funny. And I was just talking about this with a colleague. Uh, actually, last night, we were talking about virtual ethics. And I'm going to be teaching a course in this fall at Loyola University Chicago on Catholic social ethics and migration. And I was telling her about ethics and uh, many of us, we obey laws, civil laws and human laws. And we do this because we're not only is our duty and our responsibility, but I was telling her that when it comes to virtual ethics and uh, really discerning the signs of the times, it's all about the common good. It's all about, again, this theology, which... Uh, us of us to come of ourselves and to give ourselves to others to work for the common good to really uh, again discern what is God asking us to do at the margins and so for me I felt that it was a combination of both the skills and the talents that I have developed in the social justice world but then also going deep into my faith and then being able to see if every single one of my brothers and sisters as one human family as children of God. And I think it is different when you see people from the uh, social, from the lenses of the social contract than when you see them as the children of God, because then you, that's when you really give yourself to others, knowing that there's so much that we have in common. You know, when, when it comes to issues like immigration, I always say that there's no easy solution. 
because every single one of us ha has an idea of the common good. But then when we start looking uh, at things, at issues from the lenses of Catholic social teaching from our, from our Catholic faith, we begin to see everyone as a child of God. And that child of God deserves our respect and deserves our support. And I think for me that that is what has made the difference here. What about um, the influence that uh, learning about Catholic social teaching has had on you. I mean, your role, I mean, that's what you're, you're called to do, right, is to really promote um, Catholic social teaching, to raise awareness of it. And I guess I'm curious, when did you, um, you know, learn some of those, those themes and principles? Um, and what was your, um, what was your takeaway from, you know, learning this, what many call this, the, the best kept secret of the church, right? I remember that I learned that phrase while, again, studying at Foreign University. I have never, ever before listened to that phrase, uh, Catholic social teaching. So I was very curious about what is that all about? And it is uh, something that is actually not well known within our uh, parish communities and especially within the Latino community. I remember one time going into different parishes and asking them about whether they knew anything about Catholic social teaching and three or four people of a congregation of two, three, 200 to 300 people will raise their hands. And for me, I feel that it is not that we don't know about Catholic social teaching. We might not know the term, but the principles we live them out almost daily in our lives. And with this, I'm, I'm actually going back to my childhood. And I was just reflecting on my parents. My father, he will be very involved, not only within his family, within his household, but also with the community. I believe that he was working on many different projects, always trying to better our community. He was also a dedicated member of our family, uh, but he was also very into a lot of actions of solidarity. He will always go outside of his comfort zone to feed those that were hungry, to you know dress those that were you know naked, always uh, trying to provide for the marginalized. I'm beginning to think that, you know, my first uh, sort of encounter with Catholic social teaching was actually back at home as a child, as, you know, when I was younger. And then eventually uh, coming to uh, getting to know these concepts, uh, the themes of Catholic social teaching through my studies at foreign university. And I believe that, again, uh, we leave those uh, principles daily. I think, you know, we're always in through and through this ethic of solidarity, caring for the least someone's ass, you know, always looking uh, to address the needs of, you know, those uh, that are, you know, on the margin. Always, uh, you know, trying to preserve and make sure that, you know, everyone is aware of our God-given dignity. What are our duties and rights? You know, I always say that just as we have rights, we also have responsibilities. And so everything is interconnected. Uh, we cannot look one way or the other. And also one issue is not more important than the other. So for me, Catholic social teaching is something that we live daily in our lives. You know, Johan, your witness is so important because in my experience, um, especially when I started to really dive into Catholic social teaching, it could be so theological or theoretical, and it could be hard to connect it to reality. 
but you're totally right that even though we might not know the terms right or like the vocabulary many of us have some experience with the catholic social teaching in our families right um and with with our community so i'm so glad that you were able to make those connections um, and the other question I wanted to ask you is about challenges, any challenges that you've experienced as you have started to speak about social justice through, you know, our Catholic social tradition um, in, in faith-based settings, right? Because I don't know about you, but I know for me, like, the time we live in is so hard, right? It's so divided. And um, unfortunately, we see a lot of the the politics and the divisiveness within our own church, right? That exists in society. So talk about how any challenges that you've experienced kind of talking about Catholic social justice and how you've kind of dealt with that. After my retreat, uh, again, I decided to go deep into our Catholic faith. And I think uh, I experienced uh, a number of challenges. And one of them was uh, the lack of formation opportunities, uh, you know, for those of us that we want to go into the ministry um, work of the church, but also realizing how polarized our society and even our church is. As you just mentioned, you know, we're very divided on so many things. And to me, this is something that, uh, you know, at the beginning, it was a bit concerned that, you know, that we couldn't see that before and after politics, we're all members of the human family, we're all children of God. But I also believe that what transformed me and allowed me to see things differently. Once again, it was my uh, academic studies at Fordham University when I began to see the value on everyone's opinions, knowing that my argument, uh, you know, that I won't have the best argument, that there's other people that will have, you know, uh, better ideas. And so being able to be respectful to everyone, being able, first of all, being able to listen, I think that's also one of our biggest uh, issues that we have today in our society that we don't listen. It's all about the arguments. It's all about the opinions. But a lot happens when you are able to encounter the other person in front of you, when you are able to encounter yourself with a person that has a different opinion on one particular issue than you have. So for me, I always uh, speak about the culture of encounter. And I remember many dialogues and interconversations with people, you know, who didn't agree with me on things. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, after these conversations, we will shake hands. and that will often lead uh, to transformation, not only me being able to value their experiences, their perspectives, but also them learning more about myself. So I always speak about the culture of encounter, and I always believe that it is through communion that we're able to put aside our differences, and we can seek to remain divided, or we can seek to see what we have in common, our, com our common values, and then come together. So for me, yes, there have been many challenges, but I always say that every challenge is an opportunity to come together as a community. Let's talk about your the theology of the Good Samaritan, because I know that you've been really um, flushing out this theology through your blog and different um, writings and things like that. And if I correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that you've started to think about this and develop this before Pope Francis wrote his encyclical Fratelli Tutti, right? So 
Um, talk about that this theology that you've been developing, and especially as it relates to um, the Pope's most recent encyclical, Fratelli Tutti. When I actually began to think about the theology of the Good Samaritan, um, I also was looking at, again, the divisiveness of our church and society, especially on issues like abortion, immigration, you know, uh, border, you know, uh, you know, when it comes to elections, so, so many things that we were divided. And so one of the tasks that I was given by one of my professors at Foreign University was to develop a theology that was uh, relational enough and that it will bring a new perspective to the ecclesial experience of especially neighborly love. And so I began to look at the different uh, challenges that we were having here in the United States. Uh, again, addressing uh, different issues, especially the issue of immigration. And I realized that it is through uh, communion that we are able to put aside our differences. When we go to mass, when we go for the Eucharist, you know, I feel that, you know, no one is looking at, you know, who are you? What are your, you know, political ideologies? You know, what are your concerns? Everyone were each one of us is doing the line to receive communion. I feel that we're all equal and we're, we all come together to partake on this gift that is God himself given to each one of us. So once again, to me, it is through the culture of encounter that we're able to see the needs, the pains, uh, the hopes of the people, especially those living under margin. And so I began to reflect a lot on the parable of the Good Samaritan and really uh, connected to our need to put our faith into action. For me, I feel that, and I connect this to, you know, the, the, last, the last judgment, uh, the parable of the last judgment, that it is not our ticket to heaven. It's not going to depend to how many masses, how many, uh, you know, rosaries, how many liturgies I went to, but rather, uh, you know, whether you were able to see the needs of those uh, laid, you know, on the road, uh, needy, you know, with so many uh, necessities. And so for me, our faith has to be uh, a mature faith that is able to take action. And that is done through the words of mercy and actions of social justice. So it is not enough to go, for me, I always say that it is not enough to go to church on Sunday. And then after that, you know, just leave our lives are as we please, but rather we have to be always attempted, especially to those that we encounter on the road with, you know, different needs and uh, pains. And so we have to be attentive to them. And I believe that not only with the immigration issue, especially our undocumented brothers and sisters, but there are also many people and we don't have to go to, you know, other continents, um, Africa, Europe, Asia to, to do good to others. We can start with the people at our homes, in our own communities. There's so much to do. And for me, that's what I call the theology of uh, the Good Samaritan, being able to recognize the needs, uh, the pains, and the hopes of those that we encounter on our daily basis, and then being able to not only uh, accompany them and attempt to their needs, but also to be able to transform our uh, laws, our, our policies, our institutions, in order for them to also have a better life. So the, the key word I heard in, in everything you just shared is, is to be able to recognize, right? And it reminds me of the, the pastoral cycle, see, judge, act. Um, but 
like in my experience, it's so hard right now with, especially with the pandemic and people are isolated. And, and I, I perceive that people are also kind of indifferent or lukewarm, right, about people's sufferings because of the pandemic we're in. It's like, I got to worry about my own suffering, my own health, my own people, my own household, right? So w- are there any practical actions, steps that, you know, people can take to be able to facilitate that recognition, right? To just make that first step, to be able to see the pain and suffering others and be moved to do something about it. The first two things that come to mind, one is uh, deciding to leave your comfort zone. And I always say that many of us were very comfortable uh, doing ministry from our homes and our offices. But if we remain comfortable where we are, we will never know uh, Christ who is, uh, you know, represented through the people that we're living on the margins. And also not only the people that live on the margins, but also those that have differences. And to me, it goes back to Jesus' way of living. Jesus wouldn't stay at the synagogue just preaching. He will go out onto the road. He will preach to those that will disagree with them. He will preach to those that, you know, others uh, and, you know, in the religion will reach out to. So for me, it, the first step is to go out. And then the next step, which I think is essential to, to experience that, it is the dialogue. So many things happen once we enter in a dialogue. And I was just recently reflecting on a couple scriptural passages that how, you know, others were able to encounter uh, Christ through dialogues. And one of the, those was the uh, when Jesus uh, comes and meets the Samaritan woman. And it is through that dialogue that she's able to recognize uh, Christ who's talking to her. And then she leads uh, others to actually have this personal encounter with Christ. I was also just reflecting on, on uh, the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus how it is through that dialogue uh, that they were able to recognize uh, Christ and when their eyes were opened. So to me, the first step one is to to get on the road, to ser- to be on uh, church on mission. In Spanish, we use the uh, term iglesia en salida. Again, to be able to go out onto the roads, onto the peripheries on our communities and then encounter people where they are I believe that a master's degree is not needed to teach others about Catholic social teaching, to teach others about what God expects from us. All that they need, and this is something Pope Francis recently said, all that they need is our uh, presence. Our presence is enough. Just to be able to listen to them, that is that already gives them the dignity that they deserve and acknowledges who they are being human beings and children of God. So for me, again, the first step is to go out into the very first, listen, being able to listen to their stories. And it is through that personal encounter that we, be, that we experience that conversion in word and witness. And then after that, accompany them and then uh, create that social change that it is needed for each one of us uh, to achieve our full potential. I love that. That's so, that's so practical, right? So get out of your comfort zone, go out. 
uh, encounter, listen, dialogue in a company. Um, those are that's an excellent um, you know practical steps that we can all take. Um, so we're a couple of weeks from the annual Catholic Social Ministry Gathering. So before we wrap up, I would love to spend a little bit of time talking about that, since that is, I'm assuming, one of your your more major responsibilities in the role that you're in. Um, so what can folks uh, expect in this year's uh, annual Catholic Social Ministry Gathering? This year's, uh, actually, the title of the uh, of this year's Catholic Social uh, Ministry Gathering is Justice at the Margins. And this year, we're going to reflect uh, on basically the impact that the pandemic has had on not only on the U.S., but also abroad around the world. And what is called and what is our call to justice, integrate uh, communities of justice. So we're going to do this through prayer to coming together and once again, putting our faith into action. So there's so much that... uh, uh, members, you know, uh, participants can take out from this uh, virtual event. We're actually going to do this uh, this event virtual due to the uh, current reality. And so for me, I always say that CSMG, it's a formation opportunity to get to know the social priorities of the bishops. But it's, but it's also a great opportunity to develop countless of relationships uh, to be able to meet others who are doing the same type of work that you are already doing in your ministry at your parish, dioceses and communities, and you know exchange uh, best practices, uh, uh, ideas, and and actions, and also as I said before, to put your faith into action. So CSMG begins with that you know understanding of the reality where we are as a catholic community going into the, you know what are the policies that need to be in place in order to protect our brothers and sisters and then going into the hill day what we call uh in front of our members of congress and ask them to create uh policies that you know deserve for the respect of our brothers and sisters policies that are humane and that are just and so this year we're going to uh, be advocating for international foreign aid. Uh, once again, we're going to advocate for our dreamers, for our Tepesianos, uh, you know, our immigrant brothers and sisters. But also we're still, uh, you know, discussing about other issues that are important to to the Catholic community, such as, you know, providing more for families who are going through difficult times as a result of the pandemic. So there's so much to take from this uh, event, which again is happening uh virtual for the second time due to the ongoing uh, challenges with the pandemic. So uh, in conclusion, you know, we've had the the privilege to learn about you, hear your story. What would you say is like the key lessons that you hope people take away from your story? Well, the number one is that we are all called to be uh, companions of our brothers and sisters uh, living on the margins, but also and I think this is something, this is one of the clearest uh, message to of Fratelli Tutti, to put our faith into action, to be, to not be afraid to be prophets of our own time and to, uh, you know, create systemic change, to uh, be the protagonist of our own development. I always tell, you know, our youth and our, you know, leaders uh, information that they don't have to wait for someone to create systemic change. That change begins with them. And they have to take that on themselves. Uh, so once again, you know, be companions, 
be able to go to the margins and then create systemic change uh, where it's needed. All right, that concludes my conversation with Johan Garcia. We're now going to transition to the teaching segment of the podcast. And just as a reminder, this is a uh, teaching segment, not because I'm going to roll into a, a lecture or anything like that, rather because this is the part of the show where I highlight how the guests' words are influenced by or connect to our Catholic social teaching using relevant excerpts and quotes from different documents in our tradition. In doing so, hopefully you, the listener, can see the value of this teaching and be inspired to get to know it even better so that you can use it as you strive to make the world a better place. So for, for this episode, I was inspired to pull from one particular document document that's not very well known, and it, can, it comes from the Latin American Catholic bishops, and it's called the Aparecida document. In fact, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, has said, quote, Aparecida is a treasure yet to be fully exploited. So my hope is that we will... Uh, highlight this very important document and uplift its its truth, its wisdom that we can all learn from. I was really struck by all of what Johan said at the end of the interview when I asked him, what are the main lessons people you hope people take away from your story in, in this interview? Um, and he said so many um, great things, very inspiring and empowering things. Johan gives us a clear guide how to live a culture of encounter. He says we must go out, get uncomfortable, have dialogue with those on the margins, and not just have a dialogue, develop a friendship, a companionship with them. He makes it clear that this is essential to living an authentic and mature faith. He puts it plainly when he says it is not enough to go to Mass and have a devote devoted private prayer life. And we see this echoed in the Aparecida document by the Latin American Catholic bishops. For instance, in paragraph 284, they, they point out, quote, disciples must be formed in a spirituality of missionary action, which is based on docility to the impulse of the spirit, to its life-giving power, which mobilizes and transfigures all dimensions of existence. It is not an experience limited to the private spaces of devotion, but rather seeks to penetrate everything with its fire and life, moved by the drive and zeal that come from the Spirit, the disciple and missionary learns to express it in work, dialogue, service, and everyday mission. I love that image of the fire, of the Holy Spirit that spreads. That's our faith. That's what our faith should be. A fire that's, that grows and spreads to every aspect of our personal lives and also into our, and spills over into our community and the wider society. At the end of this conversation, Johan also reminds us that we're called to be companions of those on the margins. We're called to be good Samaritans for everyone, in other words, especially the poor and the vulnerable. Even though he calls this the theology of the good Samaritan, it's meant to be a practice, something we embody with our hands, our feet, in other words, our actions. Paragraph 398, the Latin American bishops show us that it is only through friendship that we are able to have compassion and suffer with the poor. They say, quote, only the closeness that makes us friends enables us to appreciate deeply the values of the poor today, their legitimate desires, and their own manner of living the faith. The option for the poor should lead us to friendship with the poor, end quote. Sometimes when we think of friendship, we romanticize it too much, and we, we forget what it truly means to be a friend to someone. And I'm reminded of, of what our Lord himself said about this topic. 
because he makes it pretty clear what it means to be a friend to somebody. In John 15, verse 13, he says, quote, Greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay down his life for his friends, end quote. And the Latin American bishops mirror Jesus and Johann words when they say in paragraph 396, quote, We commit ourselves to work so that our Latin American and Caribbean church will continue to be, with even greater determination, a traveling companion of our poorest brothers and sisters, even as far as martyrdom, end quote. Johan then goes on to speak these very empowering words which were specifically directed to the youth. He reminds them who they're called to be, prophets for their present and future generations, and that they don't need to wait on anyone to begin working for change. The Latin American bishops in Aparecida couldn't agree more. Listen to these quotes and make them your own. Paragraphs 385 says, quote, Work of mercy must go hand in hand with the pursuit of true social justice raising the living standards of citizens and promoting them as agents of their own development. Again, this, this, this highlights the importance of um, making people, what, what the Pope also used, he calls it the, making them protagonists of their own story. And then in 394, the Latin American bishops say, quote, Solidarity likewise springs from our faith in Christ as a permanent attitude of encounter and brotherly and sisterly spirit and service, which is to be manifested in visible options and gestures primarily in defense of life and the rights of the most vulnerable and excluded, and in continual accompaniment in their efforts to be agents for changing and transforming their situation. Again, this key word, agency, agency, empowering people to, to change the things that they want to see change, especially those things that most affect them. They are the ones that we should be supporting to make those differences. So to close, I'm going to actually share a quote that comes from Pope Benedict XVI in his inaugural address to the Latin American bishops for the Aparecida Conference. And he says in paragraph 51, he talks about who we are, how not only our youth, but adults, everybody, we were all baptized to be priests, prophets, and kings. And he reminds us of this when he says, all men and women must become aware that they have been configured to Christ. They are priests, prophets, and shepherds by means of the common priesthood of the people of God. They must consider themselves jointly responsible for building society according to the criteria of the gospel with enthusiasm and boldness in communing with their pastor. My brothers and sisters, I hope that you take these words and you make them your own, that they light a fire in you to become a priest for this society that so desperately needs priests, priests, prophets, and kings of love of the gospel. All right, that concludes this episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. Thank you all for, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Johan Garcia from the USCCB and uh, learned a thing or two from the Latin American um, document Aparecida. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast, Reclaiming Social Justice, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other um, platform that exists out into the world. And if you like this podcast, if you like this episode, please do share it on your social media, um, because if it is helping you, if it's opening your mind, and, and maybe it might help other people as well. 
And don't forget, um, today is, is Wednesday, January 26th. We're just a few days from the Catholic Social Ministry Gathering. So if you haven't signed up yet, I believe that there's still time. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. So, so please go there, register and sign up to um, participate in this wonderful conference so that we can continue to form ourselves in this area. This, this beautiful, as, as many people call it a secret, but this beautiful gift of Catholic social teaching.